Welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? My name is Reverend Ann Dunlap. I'm a UCC pastor doing community ministry for racial justice and solidarity here in Denver, Colorado. You can learn more about me at fierceremedies.com. I'm also the faith organizer for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally, and this podcast is a project of SURGE Faith. SURGE is a national network of groups and individuals organizing white people for racial justice. So just by way of framing this podcast a little, I want to remind us that this podcast is designed for white people, white people talking to other white people about race and white supremacy. Of course, it would be wonderful for anybody and everybody to listen. This isn't meant to be a white-only space. However, with our new podcast contributor crew, we want to be explicit that white people like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy. White people have to resist racism. We have to resist all other forms of systemic injustice that we are invested in and complicit with. The word is resistance. I'm grateful to be back with you wherever you're listening to this right now. I feel like it's been a while since I shared a podcast, though I did do two in May. Time is a strange thing sometimes. Have you been feeling that too? I feel like in my body somehow it's still a little bit Lent. And yet we've had Easter, and already we're past Pentecost, and coming up on Trinity Sunday and summer solstices around the corner. (sighs) How do we stay grounded in times like these? Don't do this if you're driving, obviously, but sometime this week anyway, just... Sit on the ground, somewhere, anywhere. Maybe take your shoes off and feel the grass or the soil or the sand under your feet. If it's winter where you are, sit in a quiet, warm place. Now, feel the breath of the air in your hair. Feel the warmth of the sun's fire on your skin. Feel the spiraling flow of your blood in your veins. And feel the solidity of the earth cradling you, holding you. Air, fire, water, earth. You are right here, right now. Courage, brothers, don't get weary. Come 
time I was with y'all, I shared my sermon in honor of Dr. Vincent Harding. And I left a link in the transcript to his 2011 interview with Krista Tippett from On Being. And I hope you listen to it. It's magnificent. I don't be referencing Dr. Harding all the time, but there are times his words are really with me. Today is one of those days, as I've pondered what to say about Trinity Sunday. One of the lines that always strikes me when I listen to that interview, which is about every six months or so, is from a story he tells about growing up and what he learned from the church community that formed him as a child. The line always sneaks up on me and grabs at me. What he says he learned is, love trumps doctrine every time. Love trumps doctrine every time. Those words of his have come to me as I've been reading the scriptures for this Sunday and pondering the nature of Trinity Sunday and why we even have a thing called Trinity anyway. Love trumps doctrine every time. Maybe Trinity Sunday isn't a big deal to you or your community. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to get the play as, say, even Pentecost does. Which, if you would listen to uh, Will Green's podcast last week, we're reminded, in the white Western mainline church anyway, we get a little forgetful about Pentecost, too. I have vague memories growing up in the church of singing all the Trinity hymns. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. But time certainly didn't stand still for it. Time is not even marked by it, and certainly no one dresses up in their trinity finest for it, lines out the door for it. It's puzzling, since the establishment of the doctrine of the trinity is kind of a big deal in the history of the Western Church. I mean, Emperor Constantine himself insisted on it, right? Love trumps doctrine every time. So I will tell you the truth. I'm kind of meh about the Trinity. Actually, that's, that's not strong enough. I deeply, strongly question the validity and value of a doctrine that came into existence through violence, that came into existence via Roman imperial threat, that came into existence at the very point of Constantine's sword. Constantine's sword hung over the Council of Nicaea, demanding, as James Carroll puts it, a single, definitive, univocal answer about the nature of the divine, about the nature of the human Jesus, a single, definitive, univocal answer that Constantine had to approve of, or else, or else exile, or else death. And that single definitive univocal answer was weaponized as a kind of loyalty oath to Constantine, the empire, and the Constantinian-ruled church. Weaponized. To run an empire, you see, to unify an empire, as Constantine believed was his divinely ordained task, you need to know who is loyal to you. You need to know who is out. And as Carol notes, you can't say who is out unless you can say what it is to be in. 
Thus the Council of Nicaea, the loyalty oath of the Nicene Creed, and the imperial and focal unity that had zero tolerance for any kind of diversity, the codified doctrine of the Trinity. Who is out? Who is in? And when we know who is out, we can go after them with the sword, the cross flying on our battle flags. So yes, I question the validity of the doctrine. Love trumps doctrine every time. I'm not exactly saying that divine and Christ and spirit are not worthy ideas to think about, to play with, to see how they show up in scripture, though pretty much everyone agrees the Trinity as a doctrine, as a teaching, is never mentioned in the Bible. Three is a gorgeous, sacred number. Magical, some say. Celts beheld a trinity of sea and sky and land, for example. Feminists playing with Christian trinity formulas beyond Father, Son, Holy Ghost have helped us to see how the sacred three implies relationship, movement, community, action. You've heard these, probably. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, for example. Or Ruth Duck's quite lovely womb of life, word in flesh, brooding spirit. So I'm not exactly saying let's not play with ideas about how the divine shows up in threes, or even fours, or maybe even sevens, or nines, or even, even twenty-ones. What I am saying is... The development and codification of the doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, was born in violence as a weapon of empire, as a weapon of the church sold out to empire. What I am saying is, the whole point of that doctrine, of a church council presided over by the imperial leader himself, was to cut off any further discussion, any further playing with of ideas, for one univocal loyalty oath in the service of imperial power. What I am saying is, I am not interested in celebrating a doctrine thrust at me on the point of Constantine's sword. What I am saying is, love trumps doctrine every time. Maybe we don't think that matters anymore, that by tweaking the language of the formula we fix the problem, but I'm not so sure that's right actually. I've been thinking about it this week. I've been thinking about Matthew text, how what was once perhaps meant as a sign of resistance against empire a baptismal utterance naming not Caesar but God, not Caesar but Jesus, not Caesar but the wild solidarity of Holy Spirit, not a loyalty oath but an affirmation of life. How what was once a subversive mockery of imperial power co-make disciples of all nations to demonstrate God's might and Rome's limits. How all of that when the church and the empire formed their unholy union, all of that got turned on its head, and what was once a subversive act against empire became a mechanism of imperial control, domination, and colonization. In the name of unity, mind you. Unity in what, we might ask ourselves. 
and how that same mechanism, the mechanisms of imperial control, domination, and colonization continued even after Rome fell. Rome died, but thanks to the church, the mechanism of control, domination, and colonization did not. Crusades, inquisitions, witch hunts in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I'm thinking about how wherever colonizers went, the church went with them. Be baptized into the colony or be dead. Be baptized into the colonizer's culture or be dead. The point of the sword and the cross on the battle flag in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Maybe you're wondering, that's all past history now, Anne. We have feminist language for the Trinity now. We know colonization is wrong now. What's the big deal? What's wrong with the Trinity? Well, I'm still thinking. I'm thinking about what my colleague wondered about when I mentioned I was working on this week's podcast. She said with the codification of the doctrine of the Trinity, maleness is officially inscribed onto the divine and re-inscribed, therefore, every time we repeat the formula. So the formula then describes not only what we think the divine to be, but also what we think maleness to be. And from there we wondered together, when Jesus became a white man with the rise of colonization, indigenous genocide, and the global trade of enslaved humans. How when Jesus became a white man, lifted up in this formula now as divine, God the white father, God the white son, God the white spirit. I'm thinking now about how every time someone is baptized, we inscribe them with doctrines about what power is, what maleness is, what whiteness is. We re-inscribe a doctrine of white maleness as divinity every time we repeat that formula. And I'm not letting white feminists off the hook here because I'm thinking about how this, this is how we, even the progressive we, re-inscribe whiteness as normative, white maleness as divine, even when we tweak the language of the formula. Because when it comes down to it, if we don't baptize someone in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, it doesn't count. That's literally our ecumenical agreements about honoring baptism across Christian traditions. Hmm. In my thinking, I keep coming back to the mechanisms, the mechanisms of doctrine, the point of the sword, the cross on the battle flag, the genocide of colonization. The fact that even the baptismal formula could not, did not erase the fact that enslaved humans were considered property, not human at all. Which makes you wonder, what even is the point of assenting to belief in this doctrine if it's not to reinscribe whiteness and the mechanisms of enslavement, genocide, warfare, white God, white son, white spirit? So I'm thinking out loud, thinking out loud, thinking out loud with you wondering about the validity and worth of a doctrine that came into existence through violence, for the purpose of violence, for the purpose of a univocal loyalty oath to empire, and whose mechanisms of enforcement are still so very present with us today, 
re-inscribed on us every day. I'm thinking out loud with you, with Dr. Harding's voice echoing in my ears, love Trump's doctrine every time, and how in the church, the white church in particular, we seem to have that backwards doctrine, Trump's love. I'm thinking out loud with you about the doctrine of the Trinity and Black Lives Matter. And I don't quite have it yet, maybe quite the clearest articulation of it, but it seems to me, it seems to me if we as white folk want to proclaim Black Lives Matter, then that has to mean that love trumps doctrine. That has to mean that Black Lives Matter more than formulas of words. That has to mean if we understand the doctrine of the Trinity, born in violence, weapon of violence, tool of colonization and enslavement, if we understand the doctrine of the Trinity, the inscription of its formula on our minds, our bodies, our hearts, as the inscription of whiteness imprinted on us like a stamp on copper, like an engraving on a sword's blade, if we claim Black Lives Matter, then we must say we refuse to be reinscribed in whiteness. I refuse to be reinscribed in whiteness. If we claim Black Lives Matter, if we claim Love Trump's doctrine, then maybe, maybe this Trinity Celebration Sunday, we reject the imperially infested doctrine of the Trinity. Not try to make it nicer, more inclusive with tweaks to the language, no. We reject it. As white folks, we reject it. We say we don't want to be more included into a doctrine that perpetuates empire, colonization, and domination. Or to paraphrase Dr. Harding, we don't want equal opportunity in a dehumanized trinity. We say we don't want to be reinscribed into whiteness. We say black lives matter. We say love Trump's doctrine every time. Harding said love Trump's doctrine every time. I don't think he was describing a sort of passive process that we sit back and watch happen. No, I think he is prescribing an active impulse towards justice, an active choice we must make when we make decisions, especially those of us offered the bribe of privilege in an oppressive system. Love must trump doctrine. So with that in mind, I have two actions for you today. Both of these grow from the recognition that the violent mechanisms that enforce the doctrine of the Trinity are still in force today. First of all, this past April 4th was the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's Beyond Vietnam speech, written by Dr. Harding. In that speech, the doctrines that govern U.S. empire and the mechanisms of their enforcement are clearly named. 
Quote, we must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society, when machines and computers, profit motives, and property rights are considered more important than people. The giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. Unquote. Love must trump doctrine. So your first action is, read the speech, or listen to it, or both. Listen to the panel discussions at Riverside Church and Isle of School of Theology in honor of the anniversary. Join Beyond the Moment, actions developed by the Movement for Black Lives, and read through their resources for a deeper understanding of the doctrines at work in the U.S. Empire and how they are enforced. I've got links for all of that for you in the transcript. Then identify how you will choose love over doctrine. How will you deepen the work you are already doing? Second, we're in the season of denominational gatherings. UUA, uh, UUA General Assembly, UCC General Synod and Conference Annual Meetings, UMC General Conferences are all coming up. Others as well, I'm sure. Perhaps you're a delegate or will be present in some capacity. Perhaps you won't be there but can watch via live stream. Pay attention. That's your action. Pay attention to the doctrines at play that uphold dominating power, especially around race. Pay attention, for example, to how Robert's Rules of Order is so honored that we won't interrupt it even when someone is spewing violent hate speech from the floor. How are we re-inscribing power as domination, and who does that benefit? Who does it silence and exclude? Do Black Lives Matter more, or Robert's Rules of Order? So pay attention to the doctrines and their enforcement, and then name them publicly. Name them on social media with your gatherings hashtags. Talk to colleagues about it. Find a way to be accountable to folks of color organizing against those doctrines in your denominations and be an accomplice to their work. We refuse to be re-inscribed with whiteness. We refuse to be re-inscribed with imperial violence. Love trumps doctrine. Love trumps doctrine every time. Thank you for joining me today. As always, the transcript this week includes resources at the end to support your actions. Let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. We'll be back next week with a new member of our podcast contributor crew, Nicola Torbett, giving us a resistance word on the text for June 18th. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with me there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. The music you hear throughout is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding. We are building up a new world. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians here in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. 
This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you so much. Builders must be strong.